Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Dave Chaddock. Dave is the author of a terrific book called This Must Be the Place, How the U.S. Waged Germ Warfare in the Korean War and Denied It Ever Since. Dave Chaddock, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Oh, thank you. Great to have you here. I really enjoyed this book. Uh, the title is pretty clear, but uh, what what is the basic story that you're reporting here uh, these many years after the fact? It's an amazing story, really. I, one of the more amazing things about it is that uh, Jack London, back in 1903, wrote a story called The Unparalleled Invasion. And I almost decided to call my book the same thing because he described a raid upon China where, where the uh, powers, I'm not sure who he had bombing, doing the bombing, but they would bomb China with all sorts of insects. And uh, this is exactly what the United States did during the Korean War when it got bogged down uh, and couldn't seem to advance any further in 1952. The, the difference is that uh, in Jack London's story, uh, there were little glass containers that shattered when they hit the earth, but uh, there were more advanced methods to carry the insects in the case of the U.S. bombing China and North Korea. The biggest piece of documentary evidence that really impressed me in my research that I did was the 38 confessions by um, U.S. airmen who had participated in dropping these insects. Their confessions were published in batches in uh, the magazine People's China, which was the predecessor to Beijing Review. That's what the magazine was called in those days. And I was fortunate to be have access to the University of Washington Library, which has a large uh, collection of of uh, valuable manuscripts and so forth from the from the Far East, including these original issues of People's China that I could look at. And, and these were, to just to be clear, Dave, these were not uh, killer insects that would devour uh, Chinese soldiers, but rather insects <laughs> that had been uh, infected with deadly diseases by right, right. U.S. scientists, right? Right, right. And uh, most deadly of all was the, uh, the same uh, disease that caused the Black Plague, in the, in the Middle Ages, and in that time, they didn't realize that fleas played a key role. It wasn't until 19, around 1900 that it was discovered uh, the role that fleas had played in spreading the uh, bubonic plague. Now they knew that uh, when the U.S. used these insects. So, so I think it's, it's well established that the U.S. has had bioweapons laboratories and has infected insects with diseases and uh, planned to use them as, uh, as weapons and has used bioweaponry against Cuba and the, the little ticks that uh, brought us Lyme disease were probably a creation of a laboratory on Long Island and, and so forth. But where is the proof that disease-infected insects were dropped on North Korea or China? Well, the biggest proof was uh, finding all these insects, large quantities of them, and, and strange appearance of them in the middle of winter, and then, you know, just much larger quantities than they would ever have appeared naturally. I remember one uh, attempt to dismiss the evidence. Uh, they said that uh, somebody had made a claim that insects found all over the ground here were dropped by a U.S. plane, but they said that's merely a deduction from the fact that they found large numbers of insects anonymously uh, on the snow over an area of six by three miles right after the plane went by. Well, I'm <laughs> thinking that's a, it's a deduction, true, but it's a very good deduction, and it seems like there's no other explanation you could give for why they would uh, suddenly appear. Um, I know there was one uh, story that peasants had found uh, these large bags of, of bugs, bags of insects, and uh, 
they thought this one peasant thought that maybe the Chinese forces were distributing the bugs so they could blame the U.S. But this just is too hard to believe that this could have been done. If I could revert to these 38 confessions, sure. This was the most impressive um, evidence in uh, when they had exhibitions of evidence. People would see insects and so forth, but it, you know they could have been faked or something. Um, but these confessions were given in the person's own handwriting. Uh, there were recordings made of their voices, and then just the obvious sincerity of what they what they had to say. Um, however, the the uh, standard explanation for all this was that these guys had been brainwashed, and uh, this was some mysterious process that supposedly took place where um, you could have your your mind tampered with in such a way by various forms of torture and so forth that your mind would have been emptied of its uh, real thoughts, and then some other thoughts could be stuck in there from outside. And uh, like as in one of the pilots, when they came back, they all retracted their confessions, and a big point was made out of this, too. But, um, you know, I think the confessions were the when they were sincere, and then the confessions being retracted was just something they had to do to avoid uh, uh, getting punished. But one of them uh, had this interesting statement. He said, uh, this is the hardest thing I have to explain, that it was my words, but it was their thoughts. And he said, it, would, it seemed real to me, like the feelings, everything seemed real, and yet we knew it didn't happen. And this was supposed to be a real um, eyewitness testimony of having uh, undergone uh, brainwashing. But um, what turned out is that the Chinese had a, what they called a lenient treatment policy. I had a, an interview that I was lucky enough to get with a, uh, one of the POWs who at the end of the Korean War decided to stay in China. His name was Jim uh, Veneris. When he was captured, uh, he didn't know what was going to happen. And this big, tall guy, he said he spoke good English. He told him, sit down. He said, would you like a cigarette? And then uh, <laughs> he told Veneris, uh, we have a lenient treatment policy. We we won't harm you. And at the end of the war, we'll return you to your loved ones. And uh, there's also testimony of Japanese prisoners. When they uh, first started out in the in the war, you know, this earlier war with Japan, first thing they had to do was chop the heads off some Chinese prisoners. And they didn't expect to be treated well at all, but uh, even in spite of all those things they had done, they, they were treated well, too. So my, my uh, belief is that the reason why these people confessed, the first ones who confessed, they had guilty consciences for having done what they did. And they even said that one of them was ready to confess as soon as he had a chance. Uh, there were some that were stubborn and didn't want to confess, but they got implicated by the confessions of others. And so uh, I think the 38 confessions are the best evidence we have. Um, it was, I almost thought of putting them as an appendix in my book because um, they make up, but it would be just a little bit prohibitive, the, the length and so forth. But well, it would be nice if they could all be published again uh, so people could uh, you know, evaluate it. Well, we will link to those that are available from TalkNationRadio.org with this show. Uh, Dave Chaddock, we, we today throw around the term brainwashing uh, to refer to anyone who's been uh, persuaded of some delusion. Uh, but this was a term that really came into use during the, the, the war in Korea, and, and it meant something much more uh, significant, uh, though in fact not... Uh, not real. Is that, yeah, right. is that right? 
yeah. I mean, uh, the, the term was not used at all um, until uh, this man who really had contacts with the CIA, but he kept them hidden. And he wrote a couple of books um, about brainwashing. He called, one of them is called Brainwashing. And uh, he tried to explain it either... One explanation he had was that some kind of superior form of hypnotism might have been used. And another explanation, he thought it might have had something to do with uh, uh, Pavlov's uh, conditioned reflexes, that somehow you could just condition people to say whatever you wanted them to say. But the explanations kind of fall flat. And uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, ways of getting into what actually happened is the testimony of one of the American POWs named Morris Wills in his book called Turncoat. And he explained that there was no real massive torture or any kind of thing. There was no electrodes attached to his brain. He said it was just, he used the term a long, horrible process, but he says the process was simply being convinced step by step, idea by idea, until you came to believe what the person who was trying to persuade you uh, of... uh, you know, that he just won the battle to persuade you. And um, I remember one of the examples they used that they they tried to show how the U.S. prisoners have been brainwashed because the Chinese would show them these maps that showed U.S. air bases all over the world. And uh, they said uh, they, they did, but the U.S. prisoners didn't realize that oh, these were not these were not warlike. They were just uh, means of bringing about peace. But then. <laughs> it seemed to be. Uh, it didn't seem well. One of the best books was by uh, Eleutherius Winance. He's got a strange name. He wrote a book called The Communist Persuasion, and he said you should never argue with a communist because it's like you're you're con- you have a mishmash of ideas that are sort of confused, and we think one thing one time and another thing another time. You come up against this steel-like conviction. Uh, it's kind of like a razor blade versus a bowl of jello. And what happens is you're going to lose your cherished ideas, and uh, you should never get into a battle with a communist because you don't want to lose those ideas that you uh, really cherish. It's kind of like what they once said about Socrates, that somehow he was making the worse appear the better cause. So uh, to me, it seemed like brainwashing was simply, um, like we use the term today, we don't necessarily, we don't uh, no, no longer associate it with a, some kind of weird process where we've been tortured. Yeah, the it mind has mean, been completely eliminated, and a new mind has given us and so forth. Uh, yeah. the question that we haven't had access to the truth. We've been told of all a bunch of lies, and so I knew there was some brainwashing going on somewhere because uh, either either the uh, pilots and so forth had been brainwashed, or else we've been brainwashed into thinking that these pilots were telling a lie, and that's what I think has happened. I well, agree that it's one of the greatest hoaxes of all time, as it's been called. Um, but the hoax is not that the U.S. Uh, was accused of, use, of doing something it didn't do, but it, that we've been we've been brainwashed into thinking the U.S. did not do it. So, um, 
But again, this term brainwashing, uh, you, as you have just explained very well, it, it came down to actually uh, persuading people to tell the truth and make confessions. But uh, in, in fact, the, the idea that the public has through the book and the movies, The Manchurian Candidate, for example, uh, is of something much more powerful and, and sinister and being able to control a human being like a robot and have them confess to things that never happened at all. Uh, and yet, uh, these pilots, as you say, when they got back to the United States, did recant their confessions, uh, which people take as as very serious evidence against them. Um, but in fact, you've found uh, evidence that that pilots and others in the military were kept quiet by various means. How was uh, how was that done? How else has this story been kept hidden? Yeah, right. Uh, well, the first thing was that the uh, at the very beginning, they actually tried to keep what the pilots were doing secret from the pilots themselves. They, they, they would ask them, uh, they would say, now don't worry about, you're going to fly low, but don't worry about explosions because uh, these bombs are going to be duds. And uh, just, we want to know where you drop your duds. And uh, But they finally figured out there was something going on, and they... Uh, they have interesting stories about the first day that they found out what they were actually doing. And uh, it just was really shocked them when they really learned what they were what they were up to. And so then they just had to be kept pledged to secrecy after that. And in fact, uh, they couldn't even use the word germ anywhere in the airbase or, or, or the term bacteria. They wanted to keep this a, a big secret. Some of the revelations, one of the confessions... Um, even has the testimony of a General Jerome in May of 1952 when they had a big staff meeting, and he, he explained that we're pretty sure the enemy's aware of what we're doing, but the big thing we're trying to do is keep it in a secret from our own people. And uh, they would, this, they carried it to an extreme length. There was one um, soldier who sent a letter, protest letter to his hometown newspaper uh, protesting against the germ warfare uh, the letter was turned over to Army Intelligence, and he was uh, sentenced to 20 years in jail. That was later reduced, but, I mean, started off being sentenced to 20 years. The, the funny thing about it is that if they were to punish these pilots for revealing the secret, then that would be it. They'd have to admit that they did it. So it would, they were in a kind of a catch-22 situation if they were pilots when they came back. So it was kind of like they they talked to them and private and told them, you know, look, I wouldn't try to keep up what you told uh, the Chinese over there because any time, any, anything you do in that regard will not be believed. Um, and you'll just be, we'll just tell everybody you were brainwashed so bad that you haven't recovered yet. In fact, many of the returning POWs, because many of them had been visited by some of the germ warfare dropping uh, pilots, and they were convinced that the germ warfare had happened also. So they had to be isolated from the American public when they returned, and uh, they were accused of being uh, mentally, somehow mentally deranged, because one of the tests of being mentally deranged was whether you uh, uh, said something about you believed in germ warfare. Because, uh, and then all these scholars that have just been, uh, just one after another, been, in my in my words, brainwashed into believing that uh, the whole thing was a, was a, was an absurd charge. There's a book um, on this on the, that's available now called The Man Who Loved China by Simon Winchester. 
And uh, it's about Joseph Needham, the China scholar, and he was also the leader of a, of a uh, international scientific commission that investigated the uh, charges of germ warfare. And uh, and he claims that uh, Winchester accuses uh, Needham of being uh, pitilessly duped by the Chinese in this scientific investigation, when actually it was a really good a uh, really good uh, attempt to get at what was really going on. We're speaking with Dave Chaddock, who's the author of This Must Be the Place, How the U.S. Waged Germ Warfare in the Korean War and Denied It Ever Since. Dave, what about U.S. government records? Um, I mean, they have to have written something down. Many, many years have passed. We're supposed to have a transparent democracy. Uh, what, if anything, has come out? Uh, well, I... <laughs> I got the uh, the volume that came out many years later that covered this period, and there was only one reference that I could find um, in the whole big giant volume there that had anything to do with uh, germ warfare. And uh, they ended up. Uh, they said there was a there was a report of this, but it's obviously been something that didn't happen. They just kind of denied it. Um, and uh, if I could say something about the denials of the um, of the captured Americans when they came back, yeah, you know, because we they've uh, they've spent enormous amounts of effort trying to trying to uh, discredit the confessions of the 38 prisoners who confessed. Uh, for example, they said, "Oh, one one they used un- un-American speeches," you know, like they would say things that only communists would say. Um, and yet, when you examine these uh, statements, I don't find any of this, uh, or very little stuff like this. There was one prisoner who did uh, talk about U.S. imperialists, or he talked about Wall Street, which uh, in those days you don't usually, only communists would talk about Wall Street. But this guy had been captured by communists, and they were talking about Wall Street, and he kind of got convinced by them, and he, he might have said a few things that they would uh, <laughs> They would have said, but this is not the, this is not the main. Uh, you don't find this being predominant in these confessions. He's the only guy that even mentioned Wall Street. Right. So, so they pointed out that one mention of Wall Street as if uh, the confessions had all been written by the Chinese. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, if you uh, if you examine the the retractions, the retractions are very very they're even harder to get a hold of than the confessions because there's no conviction in them whatsoever. There's uh, three or four of them that use the exact same words. And uh, they they say the only way we ever heard about germ warfare was when the other side talked to, us, talked to us about it. And also they said anything they said about germ warfare was a, an out-and-out out lie. And every one of them used the phrase out-and-out out lie. That was <laughs> the only kind of lie they knew about. They, not, not any kind of, kind of lie except an out-and-out right. out one. They were signing on to the same statement. Right. So... Um, it's uh, it's amazing, really, that we've been misled so long about this. Um, and and it's amazing to me that the that the primary public cover up of the confessions was this fantastical science fiction idea of brainwashing uh, that you know others, including the CIA, have 
pursued for decades. How could you do this? They wanted to be able to do this and and given up. It can't be done. You can't uh, you can't control a person in that way. At least no one, uh, as far as we know, has figured it out yet. And and, and yet we don't go back uh, and say, well, then if they weren't brainwashed because that doesn't exist then weren't they really confessing? And what were they confessing to? We don't have that sort of historical memory to go back after the fact and uh, unless we read your book. Yeah. Uh, they, the CIA, it's, it's strange because it almost seems like at least some of the people in the CIA didn't really believe that we had used germ warfare. They really were sincerely trying to find out how to do it, uh, you know, so they could... Uh, beat the Chinese at doing it, and uh, to do brainwashing. Much of this uh, Canadian doctor, who uh, subjected a whole lot of uh, mostly uh, young women um, to these electroshock treatments, until he practically he, he did a, he did the first step in uh, brainwashing was supposed to be to clear the brain of your other thoughts, and he did a pretty good job of messing these women up and removing their brains of what they had in there so that some of them were unable to function afterwards. But as far as inserting new things in there, they didn't get that far. And uh, it's just a terrible thing that happened with their their experiments to try to produce uh, brainwashing. And so, assuming that the that the germ warfare did happen, which I am uh, convinced of, uh, in great part because of your book, uh, and that the United States was dropping insects of various types with various diseases uh, in China and North Korea, why didn't it work? And why should we be so upset about it? I mean, this was a war in which the United States uh, dropped all kinds of weaponry on uh, farms and villages and dams and families and killed millions of human beings, uh, and very few of them, in fact, were killed with uh, biological weapons. Why, why didn't it work? Uh, why didn't it kill uh, on the scale that it was supposed to? And why are we supposed to be so upset about it uh, when the other weapons are, are just fine and legal and civilized? Right. Well, the, re- uh, the two parts to this question, the, the part about why we should be... Uh more upset about it has to do a little bit with uh, with Theodore Roseberry. He was somebody that worked on uh, U.S. bacteriological warfare for many years at Fort Detrick. Um, he even admitted that the, the smell of evil hangs over. It's kind of like you've got doctor, doctors are supposed to be helping people. They're supposed to be curing diseases. And yet they had to use medical science to spread bacteriological warfare, you have to uh, use medical research to hurt people, to, to uh, hmm. spread disease, and it, and then also because it's uh, it's something that's uh, mass destructive on the on the level of like an atomic bomb, it, it, it's indiscriminate, it kills everybody, I mean everybody, not just the soldiers or the, the ones you're fighting, and it was just, it, it uh, I think that's why the, some of the pilots confessed, because they were just appalled at what they what they were doing. Um, why it didn't work is that uh, we just underestimated, the U.S. underestimated the ability of North Korea and China to fight back. Uh, there was um, there was a massive uh, program of uh, inoculations um, and uh, you had to, in North Korea for example, you'd meet uh, 
a roadblock, and if you didn't have your statement of that you'd been vaccinated, uh, they wouldn't let you uh, wouldn't let you proceed, and you had to get a, a, a vaccination right there on the spot. You didn't have your certificate, and uh, in China, like people that were working with food or whatever, they had to get a quota. They had to kill a quota of thirty flies every day, and uh, it's believed that by the end of this. Uh, intense uh, war on flies that uh, they probably killed enough flies to fill 233 rail cars full of flies. Even uh, even years afterward, the people were reporting coming from China, they couldn't find any flies over there. But Harrison Salisbury, um, in 1972, he found 51 flies in six weeks. And uh, I, I uh, did a little better in three weeks. I found 49 of them in 1973. But I agree with a, a the expedition of the concerned Asian scholars that visited about that time, their statement was there are flies, but there are not very many. And it's because of this huge uh, effort that had been made to just kill, probably many of the insects that were killed were innocent insects that had, you know, they weren't carrying any disease, but they overdid it perhaps, but they sure wiped out a lot of the disease-carrying ones. Well, I, I'm not sure that I accept that the bombs were somehow less indiscriminate. I, I mean, even looking at targeted drone kills uh, now and who they actually kill compared to who they're targeting, it looks completely as indiscriminate as poison gas. But setting that aside, it, it, the, the general assumption is that, in fact, biological weaponry is one of the bad weaponries, that it's that it's unacceptably indiscriminate and evil and should be done away with why why dredge this up now can it can it help uh, you know finally put an end to the to the korean war that's never really been ended uh and or can it help the united states finally put an end to its bio warfare programs well i think um the good thing about it if the u.s was to admit this it's one of the main um main antagonisms that uh, North Korea has, you have this country that did this and won't admit doing it. Um, their other big beef is that the U.S. actually started the war, even though uh, the U.S. denies that as well. But if the U.S. would uh, come clean and uh, confess what it has done, that uh, we could perhaps bring an end to this. Uh, we could definitely bring an end to this Korean War, which we should do. With just a couple of minutes left, and we'll have to have you back on for this conversation, but most Americans have been convinced for decades, and were convinced in the time, that uh, North Korea invaded South Korea unprovoked. Uh, what's the truth of the matter? Yeah. And more, most recently, that opinion has been uh, reaffirmed due to the revealing of some secret documents revealed by Yeltsin that, that have to do with... Uh, with uh, plans by the North to start the war. Uh, my quarrel with that, though, is that they don't have any evidence that goes beyond uh, five days before the war started. But during that time, we had a visit of Dulles, and we have testimony from people that defected to the North. We also have testimony from uh, somebody that was a leading official of the South Korean uh, regime when it was in between dictatorships, um, that when Dulles came to visit uh, a few days before the start of the war, he told uh, 
Sigmund Rhee that the time is ripe. Uh, we want you to attack, but blame it on the other side. Give us about three weeks, and uh, we'll bring in the United Nations. Well, it didn't quite work out that he got three weeks, because in three days um, after he started the war, in three days he practically lost the whole of Korea. And this we've is been blaming that, that initial battle there is what happened, uh, was the first blow in the war. Something that uh, that I.F. Stone wrote about not long after it happened. Uh, we will have to have you back on for another conversation. We've been speaking with Dave Chaddock, who is the author of this book. You should get it right now. It is called This Must Be the Place, How the U.S. Waged Germ Warfare in the Korean War and Denied It Ever Since. Dave, thanks for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Well, thank you for having me there. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, Please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.